Good morning and greetings to you again here today. It's good to be here with you. Um, Brother Earl had asked me if I'd come and share a message on baptism. And baptism's an exciting thing for me. And so even though it was a busy weekend, I said, hey, I'll make it happen. So I'm glad to be here with you today and be able to participate. I've been very blessed already so far. Um, Brother Neil, I want to thank you for that opening. <laughs> I, um, I was really, really blessed and challenged with that. Those of you who know me uh, well know my personality. I'm, I am the strong person that, um, that uh, I'm sure that Simon would talk about, and I want to get that book. I never heard that book. I would be blessed with that. But this is not a new meditation for me, and I can tell you, I'm sure that, you know, uh, I don't know all your congregational relationships and dynamics, but I can imagine that sharing it in a congregational context, it could be sensitive for some of you. Um, I mean, for me, I, I would feel like, okay, that comes front and center. I'm a strong person. But I'd like to say a few things here about that. And Neil, I've known you for a long time. My perception is you and I are probably about as opposite as it gets. You say as few words as I say many. I've got the front charge. You've got the rear guard and on and on those things go. But I think God used you to share that here in a way that probably I could not have. So right there we have giftings. There's three things that came to me as he was sharing here this morning. And I've, I've observed this phenomenon in my own life, being a, being a prophet. And, and in general, prophets are a very small percentage of the population and prophets are not liked. If prophets do not learn to mitigate their strength somehow, everybody wants to send the prophets off to the Isle of Patmos or somewhere away from where I am. People don't like prophets and I understand why. Um, so we have to learn, we must learn to do what Neil was sharing this morning and, and, and uh, temper those strengths or else we are not able to use them. But there's, uh, and the same thing is true for mercies, and I appreciate what Brother Earl shared on that, which mercies are the opposite of prophets. And, you know, every one of us have the ability to derail, as he shared. So I don't want to re-preach his message, but there's three D's that came to me as he was sharing here this morning that I think are, are cardinal reactionary, maybe sins I could call them, for sure errors, reactionary errors that we can have to this whole issue of strengths. I'm going to write them up here just so you can remember them. And the first one is despise. And the second one is destroy. And the third one is deny. And I've observed these things. I've felt some of them in my own life. And I think all of us have the ability to make these errors. Neil was pretty much addressing the, the, mostly the second one, but the first one too, I think, to a certain extent. And I think it starts with the first one often. So I'm a prophet, you're a mercy, or an exhorter, or something else. Your weaknesses are my strengths, my strengths are your weaknesses. Very, very easily can lead me to despise you, or you to despise me, and not like the things that we see in each other. As soon as we start to do that and despise each other, we're, we're doing this. We're pushing each other away. Now, from a relational perspective, that begins to, to bring coldness and distance in the relationship. And then we can escalate to the next level, which, which Neil very well brought out this morning, the ability to destroy each other with our gifts. We actively use them against each other. We take that pushing away to a, a new level, and we actually sometimes will... 
try to make out each other's strength as a, as a sinful thing. And I'm not saying that there cannot be sinful expression sometimes perhaps in the in the outworking of our gifts, but you know, but we we use those things in a destructive way. So we begin to destroy each other. At that point, relationships get very difficult. And then there's the third one, it becomes a personal thing. When we face that, it can be very easy for us to deny our gift. Okay, so God made me a prophet. You don't like me because I'm a prophet. And we go into this little pity party and I'm not going to exercise my gifts and we bury them. And what happens then? We can't, we cannot bless anybody and we cannot glorify God. So honestly, brothers and sisters, whatever your gifts are here today, and I'd love to learn to know each of you well enough to know your gifts. A few of you I know some of what your gifts might be. But can we learn to both or all three, embrace the gifts that God has given us, whatever it is. God made you the way you are. God gave you the gifts you have. Embrace them. He wants you to reflect His glory and His goodness in your life, wherever it is. But then secondly, temper it by embracing the gifts of your brother or sister too, who might be just opposite of you. And recognize that you need them too, and they need you. And then can we, thirdly, with that humility, blend that all together? And that's the beauty of what Neil was sharing in those scriptures this morning. It's all there. Paul's landed out. A beautiful thing. So I hope you don't mind, Neil. I just felt I wanted to put those things on. So let us not fall into these traps. And anytime we react, you know, reactions beget more reactions. When you have a reactionary cycle going on, I don't know how many of you ever heard um, the... Um, Oh, I can't say his name right now. The uh, the marriage seminar. Where's my wife? What's the... Uh, yes, Love and Respect. Love and Respect by uh, uh, Dr. Egrich. How many of you have ever read those books or watched the videos or anything? Okay, a number of you here have. I recommend it for every marriage because there's things we learn about communications in that. But one of the things he talks about in there is the silly cycle. <laughs> And honestly, it's not just marriage relationships. When we get this thing going and we start reacting to each other in communication, we get on a reactionary crazy cycle. cycle. Yeah, that that is it. Crazy cycle. We get on a reactionary crazy cycle that just drives us apart and spins us away from each other. So it's not God's will for us. So, amen. And to you uh, baptismal candidates... This is all good primary stuff for what you'll need in the kingdom of God. So it can apply to you, even though it might not seem to have much to do with baptism. I would like to share some this morning on baptism. Brother Earl asked me to do that, and baptism is a thing that is very dear to my heart. Um, Why God uh, ordered water baptism as this uh, finishing component of the salvation experience is still somewhat of a mystery to me. Why didn't he make it something else? I don't know, but why, you know, do we go out and get dunked in water or water poured over us and that becomes the the finishing act of salvation? I don't have an answer for that. But I do know that there is incredible uh, power. There is incredible meaning. There is... um, uh, it's today, and I told these two baptismal, or I didn't talk to uh, the young sister, but the young brother here, uh, and I'll say it to you too. It, there, today is a very special day in your life. 
today is something that you're going to remember for as long as you are alive because of what what it's doing in your Christian experience. And so I think it's good for us to embrace that reality. Baptism is rich. God meant it to be rich. And I have four primary observations I'd like to look at about what baptism is um, or, or four different things that I think it really means. And I'd like to also say this here in the beginning for all of us. One of the reasons baptism is a passion of mine, just like communion is a passion of mine and just like ordination is a passion of mine, because all of them are very active components of the of the church of Jesus Christ moving forward. The church of King Jesus expanding its its ranks and moving against the enemy. And because of that, I think it's very rich in spiritual meaning. And I, I feel like perhaps baptism, we as a as a Christian community have uh, undersold that one or perhaps have have under underestimated its potential and its power in our lives. And some of that maybe has been a reaction to regenerational baptism. I might talk a little bit more about that later. And there's, you know, good reasons for some of these. There, there's so many uh, theological debates that surround baptism, whether it's mode or, or um, you know, the, the uh, regenerational component and all of those things. And, and the debates get hot. And honestly, even this thing of mode, and I don't know how you all feel here. I, this is an immersion baptism today, and I'm totally good with that. We do it either way at our church. And I've, I've, I've long said that, look, if God cared that much about the mode, he'd have put something very clear in the New Testament. I've, I grew up, of course, under a, um, a pouring, a strong pouring mode. Um, and, and since then, I've had a substantial exposure to the other side with a very strong immersionist mode. And honestly, you get people on both sides of this debate that are consigning each other how to go to hell. How was that? How to go to hell by the man who wrote How to Get to Heaven? I mean, I, I've heard those things on both sides of that. And that's been, it's been hard for me to process. Because I don't find anything that clear as I look at the New Testament. I find some of the arguments for both sides of that debate. And I just think if, if it was that serious, God would have made that more clear so that we don't have to have that level of controversy over it. So I think we err when we raise that issue to that level of controversy. What is baptism? There's a lot of things that it means. And there's a lot of uh, symbolism in baptism. There's a lot of things that it, uh, a lot of meaning that it brings into our life. And I honestly think you can get well baptized either way. Either being immersed in a stream or a pond or whatever it's going to be today, or even with water poured on you somewhere when the rest of the components of what baptism means are in place. So I'll just drop that in for what it's worth. <clears throat> I also think it's a very sober time and in light, and I appreciated the testimony that the, our young sister shared. I assume the young brother shared his testimony another time. I would have loved to hear that too, but, um, but, um, it, uh, the, the, the seriousness of baptism for somebody who is coming to it uh, is something we need to take seriously. I, I don't know how many of you heard the story. Um, I think it was just a week and a half ago. It was on Friday. Might be two weeks ago now. I'm not sure. But of the uh, busload of Christians in Egypt that was completely uh, massacred. Any of you read that story? They're Coptic Christians, and I don't know that much about the Coptic Christians, except that I think they're Orthodox in their um, much of their practice and belief system. But but I read that story, and I realized that you know what, if they can face what they faced there and answer the questions that they faced there 
in the way that they did. There's something there that demands my respect. And basically what, what happened was there was a busload of Coptic Christians that were on their way to some kind of a religious celebration somewhere. And they got intercepted by terrorists on the way. Ten men, masked, armed, who stopped the bus, stormed it, and one by one brought everybody off the bus and said, are you a Christian? And of course the answer to that was affirmative because they're all, they were all Christians on that bus. And the second question was, will you renounce Christ and will you, will you, um, will you uh, profess a loyalty to Islam instead? And when the answer to that was negative, they killed them on the spot. And they killed everyone on that bus coming off. Young, old, children, everybody. And not one of them, it said, the story I read, and this was a secular story, but the story I read said not one of them hesitated in professing or in claiming their loyalty to Christ, even when they saw what was happening to the ones who gave that testimony. Now, I ask you this morning, we're here in freedom. We can sing, we can preach, we can pray, we can enjoy being together here as brothers and sisters. We are here in freedom. And there's really not much of a physical price other than the discomfort of a little cold water maybe, and it's probably not that cold today. There's not much of a physical price to baptism. But but what if, what if you were to face that choice today? Would you still want to be baptized? And I trust the answer is affirmative. You can read many, many stories of of Christians who have gone before us, who faced that. You know, our Anabaptist forefathers, as we call them, who came out of the, the corrupt Catholic Church at that point and were facing the um, uh, facing death if they underwent believer's baptism. It was sobering for them. I promise you there was no lightheartedness. There was no carelessness. This was not just something you did because it was expected of you. Not when you knew that your head may be required tomorrow because of the choice you're making today. And all of that seriousness that it puts in it, I think, highlights these things that I'd like us to look at today. And I believe that it is a good thing for every convert to desire. And this is another thing that has just amazed me over the years as I've watched this thing of baptism. And that is that it's almost a a natural want to. Somebody gets converted and... You know, it, it's like God put something in their hearts that wants to, to make this declaration in baptism. And I do believe it's a divine thing. And it's right. I think God placed it there. <clears throat> There's tremendous significance in the act of baptism, Romans 6, and I want to look at that towards the end of the message, so I'll save my thoughts there for that. But today, it's a joy to me that we can here as a congregation, as a body of believers, as, the, uh, as this group of, of called out ones, this community of called out ones right here, can together rally and, and embrace what God wants to do in this thing of baptism. It's a beautiful thing. The title that I'd like to give this this morning comes from Mark chapter 16, and you can turn there with me to begin. And I do have a number of scriptures this morning, so I hope you don't mind turning to some. Matthew or Mark 16 is Mark's rendition of the Great Commission, which we're usually most familiar with out of Matthew 28. But in Mark 16, Jesus said, according to Mark, 
I'm going to start in 14 just through the context. And afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So he was engaging with his disciples after he had been uh, resurrected. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So so then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Now, this little passage of Scripture often gets lost in those signs thing there in 17 and 18 because everybody gets all excited about those things. And I think the essence of that, what he's saying here, what Luke is recording, what Jesus was saying, his point was there's going to be a difference in the life of people who do what? 16, believe. You believe and you be baptized and through that you're saved. That's my title this morning. Believe, be baptized, and be saved. Now, can you be saved without being baptized? Well, maybe I'll answer that question a little bit more fully till we get to the end. So let's hold that for now. There's something I'd like to read when we get there. But Jesus clearly introduced all of those components. You believe, you be baptized, and you shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And for people who choose to believe, for people who make that choice of faith that Jesus is talking about, that choice of loyalty, as I shared here a few uh, weeks ago or whenever it was when I shared the message about the church triumphant, those who make that choice of loyalty, there's going to be a difference will come in their life. And these are pretty serious things he talks about. In my name, they're going to cast out devils. They're going to speak with new tongues. Again, this is not just some little, you know, convenient add-on that we put on to our lives. This is something that is going to produce a radical difference because there's a radical shift of our loyalty and the kingdom that we're a part of. We'll look more at that. Mark chapter 1. Let's go back there. I want to get that one too. This is the story of Jesus' own baptism and that's kind of amazing to me. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? (laughs) If... (laughs) If there was, theologically, if there was supposed to be a regenerational component to baptism, Jesus shouldn't have needed it, right? <laughs> so I think that's an interesting point anyway. Mark chapter 1. <clears throat> um, I'm just going to read this quick. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messengers before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And I'd like you to notice something there. I might touch this in a a moment, but this was before the Holy Ghost was given. 
So the baptism that John was doing in this river for the remission of sins was something that followed on the heels of what they were used to coming out of Judaism. And there is a lot of, there's a connection there. We'll maybe pick that up later. So they, they were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey. You talk about an eccentric there, I'm telling you. And preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. See a difference here? And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Now after that, John was put in prison, and Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying... The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And I'm going to stop there. But the words of Jesus following his baptism and coming back, he's now ready to begin his ministry. And it's really interesting to me that that right upon his baptism, for one thing, there was the the spirit of God was was very clearly a component of his baptism. And, and, And we'll talk more about that at the end of the message also. But... Right afterwards, it takes him off in the wilderness. You know, there was something that shifted there in Jesus' baptism. And then Jesus comes back from that time in the wilderness and he begins his ministry. And this is what he says. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. God is coming back to you to visit you in a personal way like he hasn't before. The kingdom of God is here. And then he says, repent ye and believe the gospel. Now, I think that's very interesting because that repentance component is something that oftentimes is either either overemphasized or (laughs) underemphasized. And I'll say that because if we get the, the, the believe and the repent disconnected, I think we do it a disservice. We can sometimes focus so much on repentance that we forget about the believe part. And sometimes we can focus so much on the believe part that we dismiss repentance. And I think both are mistakes. Let's get the believe part first. And we'll, we'll talk about what that means. And then add the repentance part to it. And then you're ready to be baptized. And you become part of the kingdom. I could go to Acts yet, but I'm not going to read this. Let me just mention this one in Acts 2, 37 and 38. And this was Peter preaching out of Pentecost. And he was preaching with boldness. And he was, you know, these people were all trying to figure out what's this all about. And preacher and uh, yeah, preacher Peter was laying it out to them. And as he laid it all out and told them who Jesus was and how Jesus was coming from God and, and all of this, this is the question they asked. So they heard this and they're pricked in their heart and they said to Peter and all the rest of the apostles that were there, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do with this? This is serious stuff you're telling us. What shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized 
every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And this stuff is so all intertwined together. <laughs> you know, you have people now theologically that latch on to that remission of things, sins thing. And this is where I think regenerational baptism comes in. That in Romans 6, which we'll look at. But um, and, and so we latch on to that and make that a focus. No, this is all part of it, but we do disservice when we try to take one component and make this a big deal. Repent. And what does repentance mean? I don't have that later, so let's just talk about that a little bit right now. What does repentance mean? Is it to stand up and say, I repent? That might be part of it. But repentance is really a, 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 a U-turn in values and heart and a complete shift in the way you're looking at, at life. If you come up and smack me one over the head and later you're sorry and you want to repent of it, you need to come and tell, tell me that, you know what, I really shouldn't have done that. And more importantly, don't do it again. If, if you come up and tell me, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, but two hours later you do it again, am I to believe you repented? Maybe for a few minutes. <laughs> but repentance is a U-turn. Some have described it that way, and I think it is. When we, when we repent, we say, you know, the way I was going, the way I was living, the things I was doing, is not right. I don't want to do that anymore. And it, when we're talking about sin, which is... Which the context here, it's pretty simple. You were living in sinful ways. Paul describes that after the flesh and all the things that that involved. You're living selfishly. And young people here, you know, you're young enough that you have not, I hope, tasted much of what this world offers in terms of its, its sinful pleasure. You've been raised in godly homes and that's such a blessing. But you still have self. <laughs> and we all have self. And it doesn't matter how young or how old you are. Self is able to, to express itself. <laughs> and it is self that we repent from and say, I don't want self to rule my heart anymore. I don't want the expressions of self to continue to be the things that flow out of my life. Whether it's in relationship with people, in the things I do, in the clothes I wear, in the music I listen to, or on and on it can go. Sin is self-expressed. That's what it is. So we say, I don't want to have self be the ruler of my heart anymore. I'm repenting from that. I'm turning away from that. I'm going a different direction. Repent. And when we repent, as a component of believing, because we're changing our loyalty, then we are ready to be baptized. And I believe in that process, our sins are remitted. I do believe that, just like it says here in Acts. Our sins are remitted. They're cleared away. They're taken away. You talk about this thing of an open heaven, and it's one of the most thrilling aspects of, a, of the Christian life. I don't know about last night, but Friday night I had opportunity to be up till, I don't know, midnight or a little after. And the sky was so beautiful on Friday night. And I do love the night sky, period. But to go out there, to me, night is quiet, it's peaceful, everyone else is finally in bed, all the voices are gone, everything's hushed. That is when I can feel really, really close to God. I don't know if any of you find it that way. But to go out there and be able to look up in the night sky and know that God's there and He did make all this makes me feel really small. But there's nothing between my God and I. What a beautiful, uh, what, a, what an incredible experience that God wants to have for each one of us. But that is what, what comes into this. So quickly... 
moving into uh, these four points. Baptism is, first of all, a change of position and identity. Baptism is a change of position and identity. And I would like to say here that I believe baptism, as we have it as a Christian baptism expressed in the New Testament, has its roots in the Old Testament. And I'm still studying this. I don't have this fully figured out because there is there is incredible. Um, there is a lot of rich meaning in the Old Testament ceremonial washings that they had to do. And I never realized how much of that I think is connected to the New Testament aspect of, of baptism. They're not the same. They're distinctly different. But I believe New Testament baptism has its roots in Old Testament ceremonial washings. And uh, Hebrews 9, is it, I believe, talks about, makes uh, mention of divers washings. That was part of what they had to do, as we call it in King James, uh, divers washings. And if you look at the Greek word there, it's actually the Greek word for baptism. Not baptismo, but baptismo or something. It's one of the, it's a connected Greek word. And, and if you go back and study any of the ceremonial washings, all of them had a cleansing component. Many times it was symbolic. Sometimes it seemed like it was very, very real. It was actually a literal washing that they were doing to go from an unclean state to a clean state. And other times it was a sprinkling, which was more symbolic. But it was always symbolic of a change of a shift in identity. From unclean to clean. And you can find that consistently. Go study it for yourself if you want to. I'm still studying it, as I said. But this is what I've found to this point. And to to understand that, that there's a shift of position. There's a shift of identity. I think it gives real meaning to what happens to us and where we come to as New Testament Christians when we're baptized. I think it is um, Paul, yes, in, well, there's two things. Peter, Peter, uh, in 1 Peter 3, and I, I'm gonna not turn to these because we're gonna run out of time. So just bear with me. If you wanna look them up later, you can. But 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 20 and 21, Peter, uh, talks about baptism being similar to Noah's flood. He, he makes a likeness there to Noah and the flood and all, and, and what happened there. And he says, he says, um, the like figure whereunto. So just like that picture, he says, baptism doth also now save us. <laughs> All right. And then there's something very interesting that comes in there, too. So but let's think about what happened there with Noah, Noah and the flood and all his, you know, his family and his sons. But he had to get in that ark, which was really crazy instructions if you stop and think about it. And I think this is why Noah is, is mentioned as somebody who had faith. He believed God. When other people didn't, he did things other people wouldn't do because he believed that what God was telling him was true and he's going to follow through on it. So he gets his family into this big ship and you know the rest of the story. They were the only ones saved. And now Peter says the like figure, just like that. So we also are saved. So I'm going to admit to you today this baptism thing to somebody who does not have any appreciation for the faith components by which we exercise it. It looks pretty crazy. You go out to this pond, you all stand around there, you get in the water, you dunk yourselves, it's dirty, it's muddy, it's whatever, it's, you know, you lose some dignity sometimes. It, it you know, it, it's just not desirable for, for a, 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 a person who has self-respect, you could say. I would argue that, but I'm giving the, you know, I'm giving how it could look to somebody who has no appreciation for the faith component of this thing. How are we saved by that? 
Peter says, in like manner, just like Noah was saved, so you are saved by baptism. Follow through on what he says. He says, not putting, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. So it's not a washing. We're not going to do this today because you need to be clean. You're already clean. We're not going to put away the filth of the flesh as such, but here it is. The answer of a good conscience toward God. Do you see how baptism is a figure? It is a seal of a shift of identity and position. You young people have made choices. You've said, I want to follow Jesus. I want to have a heart that's pure. I want to know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I want to have these bad dreams and not be sure what's going to happen to me. So you've made a choice and you've shifted your position and identity. Because of that, today, you can have the answer of a good conscience toward God. And, and, G- and God said through Jesus, you repent, you believe, you be baptized, or you believe, you repent, you be baptized. But anyway, get the repentance and belief together and be baptized and you will be saved. So today we go to the water and you are following through on this as your expressed desire to fulfill the commitment that you have made in your heart, changing your position and identity in life. You've gone from the old kingdom to the new. You've made the decision you don't want to serve self anymore. You want God and His Holy Spirit to be the ruler in your heart. And it doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that your flesh is eradicated. You will still struggle with the feelings of humanity. And I, I like to say that the Holy Spirit has a harder time with some of us than others. I'll say that because I think He has a hard time with me. But the fact of the matter is we make a choice that we want God to be the one to, to rule our heart and our spirit. And so in that, we have the answer of a good conscience toward God. Paul compared baptism in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, to, uh, to uh, the time when the children of Israel went under the Red Sea. You remember that time? You remember what happened in that situation? What was the scenario right before that? Remember, they were all camped on the one side of that Red Sea. And they were scared. The Egyptian army was coming. And the Egyptian army was powerful. The Egyptian army was not known for mercy in a situation like this. They were afraid. What is going to happen to us? Dreams? What's going to happen to me? And then God says, I'm parting the waters and I want you to go through. And they did. And the waters closed on them, uh, behind them on their enemy. What was their position on the other side of the Red Sea? Victory. Thanksgiving. They were safe. Do you see the change of position and identity? And Paul says, All our fathers were under that cloud and all passed through the sea and they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And again, using that word. Now, first, Second Corinthians chapter 5. I do want you to turn to this one. This is... This is one of many favorite scriptures that I have in the New Testament, but I just love some of the things that Paul brings out here in 2 Corinthians 5. It's hard to know where to begin. 
Let's start in verse 10. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. All right, now listen carefully. That was some context. But starting here in verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ squeezes us. The love of Christ motivates us. It makes us want to do something. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then everyone's dead. Paul's saying that as humanity... We are, we, we judge that if Christ died for all, then we're, all are dead. So we all have this problem. And that He died for all. So that they which live, now do you see the shift? He died for everyone. Every single human being has this opportunity to make this shift. Every single human being is offered this choice, but not all accept it. That they which live, some are going to accept it, some are going to choose, and some are not. Today we have these two young people who have made this choice. Now what happens out of that choice? That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. You see a change? See something that's shifting here? They which live should not henceforth, that means from here going forward, live unto themselves but rather unto Him which died for them and rose again. We have a change in priority. We have a change in behavior. We have a change in heart. So those who choose to believe that in in what Jesus is offering, He died for all, but not all are going to accept, but that they which choose to accept that and live, this is what's going to happen in their life. They're going to live differently going forward. They're not going to anymore live for themselves, but they're going to live for Him which died for them and rose again. Radical change. Wherefore, henceforth, so because of this, from here going forward, know we no man after the flesh. This, this is an amazing verse. So because of these principles, because of this change that's working in us, from here going forward, we don't know any man, and I would say or woman, after the flesh anymore. Yea, even though we have known Christ after the flesh, even so, now we know Him no more. Now, (laughs) you might be scratching your heads, and I understand, I did too for a long time on that verse. What sense does that make? But but here's what I, 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 God showed me this one day, and it hasn't been the same for me ever since. Alright, before we have this shift of values in our heart, you can have relationships with people, can be pretty good relationships, but largely, it's based on, on, on a level of self-interchange. And some people outside of Christ even learn that for their own good benefit, they need to be nice to people. So in other words, if I want nice things from you, I need to be nice to you, right? People can do that. I believe even outside of the power of Christ. What you will never have from someone who does not have the power of Christ is the ability to really be nice to someone long-term who is not nice to them. That comes from the power of Christ. 
or somewhere from God's values being put into a person. All right. But now after this change takes place, we don't know people after the flesh anymore. And this is where, because of the power of God that comes inside of us, everything changes. And even our relationship with God himself. Before you're a Christian, before you have made this choice of loyalty, you know about God. You've got some kind of a, uh, an idea who God is. But afterwards, when you have made this, this irrevocable choice of loyalty in your heart, something shifts. You know God in a different way. And I believe that's what Paul is saying. You don't know anyone after the flesh anymore. There's a change that takes place. And verse 17. Therefore, because of all these things, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. Old things are passed away and behold, all things are become new. (laughs) That is one of the most glorious principles of the gospel in the New Testament, but it is so real and true. There is a shift that takes place of identity and loyalty, a shift of position and identity that comes in. There's so much more I could say there, but young people embrace that. God is today taking you from where you have been to a new place. And and I believe that has already happened in your heart. Today is going to be a seal on that. And there will be things that will happen out of that. All right. Two, baptism is a declaration of loyalty. And I want to turn back to Acts 8 for this one. And I'm going to go through this one quickly because I, I already shared a lot of these, a lot of the points on this in the last message that I shared here. But Acts chapter 8 is the familiar story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And I don't think I'm going to read it all, but let me just point out a few things to you here. Um, So we have in verse 26, we have uh, God speaking to Philip and saying, Arise, you go down. So God had given directions to Philip. He went. We have the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, uh, along the way, and he had come to Jerusalem for to worship. So he had a heart that was, you know, kind of prepared for some of this. What was he worshiping? It's not clear. And then God put Philip and and this eunuch together. And he he was uh, returning and sitting in the chariot, and he was reading Isaiah the prophet in verse 28. And the Spirit told Philip, whom God had told Philip to go, and now God tells Philip, hey, I want you to go over and, and join yourself to this man. I'm just going to pause there and put an exclamation mark on the way the Spirit of God works in our hearts. Do you remember what we read there in, in Mark, uh, Mark 16 about all of those things that happen in a, in a person's life? Or was it Luke? Um, radical change. God is, you know, God comes in. God does these things. So just like he spoke to Philip that day, he'll speak to you and I. And so Philip goes to him and he says, hey, do you understand what you read? Read verse 31. How can I accept some man would tell me? And the place he was reading in verse 32, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shear. So he opened not his mouth. And the, in verse 34, the eunuch says, I pray thee, who is this talking about? <laughs> who is this? Who art thou, Lord? Somebody else asked that question. Remember? <clears throat> And then Philip opened his mouth in verse 35. He began to pre, it began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, there came unto, and came unto a certain water. The eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Notice what Philip says in verse 37. If you believe with all your heart, you may. 
And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What was his position half an hour before? Who, who is this man? I believe that Jesus is the King and the Son of God. And I'm willing to make him mine. Then you be baptized. I would just like to say today, young people, your baptism is a declaration of loyalty. And I hope and trust that your loyalty goes deep enough that if ten men, masked and armed, walked in this door and, and, and were to put that question to you, are you a Christian? Will you renounce your Jesus? That the answer would be yes and no. Clearly and without hesitation. And if it means the end of you for today, that you would still be willing to make that choice. Why? Because loyalty is a choice. Loyalty doesn't come with qualifications. If we've got qualifications in our loyalty, we're not there yet. Baptism is a declaration of loyalty. So when you go in the water today, you are making that declaration. I have decided to follow Jesus. And there is no turning back. There is no other way for me. This is the way I'm going. And we're all going to observe it. And it's public. Others could be there. The whole world, and I'd say the whole spirit world, is watching and paying attention to this choice of loyalty that you are declaring today. Baptism is significant. Baptism is also significant, thirdly, of deliverance from the bondage of self and sin. This thing of repentance and this is where we could go to Romans 6. You can turn there again. I'm going to just paraphrase some of this. But Romans 6 talks a lot about this. And this chapter is some of where people get really hung up in regenerational baptism. There is absolutely a change that takes place in, in, in this whole process of conversion and baptism. But again, I think we err when we put it all on baptism. And I'll, I'll explain a little bit more why. But in verse 3 here of Romans chapter 6, he says... Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? What does that mean to be baptized into his death? Today, you know, as you're baptized, and and I will say, there's a component, especially when you're doing immersion baptisms, there's a component of, of death in that thing. It can be a little scary, you know, especially if the water's cold and... And, and it, you feel helpless and there's often some gasping that goes along. Again, it's not something we do for fun. At least, I don't think it would be my idea of fun. Now, maybe some of you think you know, adventuresome ones, these people that do these polar bear plunges in January, I don't get it. Uh, something's messed up there, but anyway, different giftings. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is there's a death component in this thing. It, it's something that, you know... And, and Paul is clearly saying, you were baptized into Jesus Christ, you were baptized into his death. Where does that come in? Verse 6. Well, verse 5. <clears throat> For if, if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, verse 6, get this. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed so that henceforth we should not serve sin. Do you see that? And this, brothers and sisters, this is the essence of repentance. 
And it doesn't mean that your humanity is somehow taken out and you won't struggle with selfishness anymore. But that body of sin in you is destroyed. You're making a willful choice. I do not want to serve this selfish part of me that wants what it wants at the expense of everybody else. I don't want that anymore. And when you make that choice, just like we looked at there in 2 Corinthians 5, God comes in. God recognizes. God is watching. God sees. He's heard the commitment that you've made. And He sees today the choice that you're making in going through this thing in baptism. He comes in and He gives you power. And that power does give you the ability to rise above the mandates of self. That body of sin in you can be destroyed. It does not have to dominate your life. And when we make mistakes, we repent. Exactly the same way that we do when we come. We say, God, I'm sorry, I don't want to be that way. And if we've hurt somebody else, we need to go to them too. And say, I'm sorry, I don't want to be that way. God is making me into a new person. And I really believe that is a lifetime work. And I believe that it will not be finished until we get to glory. But I do hope that the closer we get to glory, the more refined we are. (laughs) I think it should be an escalating process of refinement. But God's Holy Spirit does the work. The old man is crucified with him so that that body of sin might be destroyed. More I could say there, but my time is fleeting. Um, it is not, this water today is not the agent of deliverance. And I want to read this. This comes from the International Bible Encyclopedia. And I thought it says it about as good as it's possible to say on this whole subject of regenerational baptism and what happens in us. So listen very carefully. The teaching of Scripture on this subject is held to be that salvation, salvation, believe, right? Salvation is immediately dependent upon faith, which as a fruit of the operation of the Spirit of God in the soul, already in its reception of Christ, implies the regenerating action of that Spirit and is itself one evidence of it. Okay, so what he's saying there is that there is a a, a choice that's made. Salvation is dependent on your choice of faith and it's the interaction of God's Spirit recognizing your choice coming into your heart and, and regenerating you. That is at once. The, the essence of salvation. And that all happens before we ever get to the baptismal water. And I'd like to just say here my words. I'll go on with this. But this is where if you, if you enter the water today a wet sinner, you're coming up a wet sinner. Maybe just a little more annoyed than you went in. But the fact of the matter is you are not going to be changed in that water if your heart has not experienced this regenerating grace before you go to the water. Alright, so to faith in Christ, to faith, this choice, belief, to faith in Christ is attached the promise of forgiveness and all other blessings. Baptism is administered to those who already possess or at least profess this faith and symbolizes the dying to sin and the rising to righteousness implicit in the act of faith as we were looking at here in Romans 6. It is the symbol of a cleansing from sin and renewal by God's Spirit, but not the agency affecting that renewal, even instrumentally. I'd like you to get that. It is the symbol of cleansing from sin. It is the symbol of renewal by God's Spirit, but it's not the agency affecting that renewal, even instrumentally. That's one of the reasons that I object to putting too much, uh, even symbolism, into baptism. When we have to be concerned about, uh, for example, you know, 
baptizing a certain way in a flowing stream because our sins are going this way or that way. I, I have problems with that because I just think we are we are we're doing despite to the grace of God in those things. And I say that with all due respect to people who maybe hold those things seriously. But I object. It is it is a symbol of cleansing and renewal by God's spirit, but it's not the agency affecting that renewal, even instrumentally. Baptism is not indeed. And I want you to get this, because having said that, this is important. Baptism is not indeed to be regarded as a bare symbol. And this is where I think we underserve it. Sometimes we reduce baptism to it's just a symbol. It's not important. And some people go, you know, two, three years sometimes and aren't baptized. We do it a disservice there, too. Baptism is indeed not not indeed to be regarded as a bare symbol. It may be expected that its believing reception will be accompanied by fresh measures of grace, strengthening and fitting for the new life. And you will find that today, young people. You enter this baptism this way. This, however, as the life is already there, has nothing to do with the idea of baptism as, as an opus operatum or baptism again as the agent doing this work. Working a spiritual change in virtue of its administration, it is, it is rather a, an outworking of the choice that they have already made. And obviously, all of this can only be applied to consenting and intelligent adults. So you can't baptize someone who has not had the ability to make this choice of faith. So there, that's your Theology 101 on baptism for this morning. Lastly, and quickly here, baptism is significant of personally receiving the Holy Spirit of God. Acts chapter 10, and I'm just going to recount this one, but this is the story of Peter and Cornelius. You remember that? love that story because God was changing things from the old covenant to the new. He gives Peter a vision. Peter can't figure this vision out. What does this mean? All these unclean animals. And then these men come knocking on his door and say, hey, Cornelius wants you to come. So Peter goes hauling over to Cornelius' house. And there he finds a whole group of people who weren't supposed to be there. These weren't Jews. These weren't clean people. These weren't people whom God was supposed to be ministering to. And I believe Peter remembered the vision. And Peter said these words. He said, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. He said, in every nation, listen to these words, in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Do you see the choice? Choice of loyalty? choice of faith and an outworking in the life in every nation. He that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. I love the clarity of that. And so they come on down through and the evidences were there. These people were showing all the signs of being filled with the same Holy Spirit that Peter was used to seeing. And that's because that's the way God works. Anyone who makes those choices, God comes in. He fills them. He gives them his power. He makes them an expression of who he is. And so these things start to come. And then Peter says, Can any man forbid water that these should be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And young people today, you've made this choice. God has come into your heart and he has recognized the choice that you have already made. His Holy Spirit comes into you. His Holy Spirit gives you power. His Holy Spirit is what makes you able to, from this day forward, live as an expression of God in your community, in your family, wherever it is. You become an extension of God. You've already begun that journey. Today, you cement the direction. There's no turning back. And honestly, I'd say, 
at the risk of not being an elder here. If you have any doubt about your choice or decision, if you in your mind want to keep some out on this thing, you'd better say it before you go to the water today. It would be better not to be baptized than to go forward without that 100% commitment in your heart. Because this is serious. So closing, God is still calling men and women to himself today. And it's encouraging to me, brothers and sisters. You know, we find at times in our, in our communities of called out ones, we find things that can discourage us and make us say, and perhaps some of you have felt this way already, well, you know, if that's how Christians act, I don't want to be one. I felt that way, and it's not right. You know why it's not right? Because that's not who God is. And when we make those kind of statements, when we allow those thoughts to come into our hearts, we're actually, again, doing a disservice to God himself. Because we're blaming God for the failures of humanity. I've got my failures too. Can we learn to give each other space to be human and still recognize that God is God? And it's God today that we rally to. And it's God today that these young people are committing to. And I have no objection to you becoming members of Oasis but I'd like to lift your eyes above that. And it's again one of my convictions that baptism should be attached to conversion, not necessarily church membership, even though I don't have any issue of, of putting the two together. But the reason I say it's important is young people, it's possible that people here in this congregation at some point could do something to hurt you. It's very possible. What's going to happen to you at that point? Today, your commitment is to somebody that's higher than Oasis. Your commitment and the, and the baptism that you're undergoing is to a God who is building his church. And today he's calling you to be part of that church. That encourages me. He is still building his church, his ecclesia, his community of called out ones, those who have declared their loyalty to him by faith. And you and I have the choice today whether we're going to be part of that. And so today these two dear young people have made that choice. And they're expressing that desire to be part of that church of Jesus Christ. May God be glorified in that. And may all of us be blessed as we consider what is happening. Let's just have a a prayer and then I'll turn it back to Brother Earl. Father, thank you this morning that you are faithful and you are still building your church. And thank you, Lord, for this amazing ordinance of baptism that we have the opportunity to enter into and be part of. The way in which you have ordained for us to seal this faith, this commitment that we make to you. And I pray for these two young people today that are being baptized, that have made this choice. Lord, would you bless them in a very special and powerful way? Would you anoint them, Lord, that they would be able to, um, to for the rest of their lives, look back on this day as a point of remembrance. And I pray for this congregation that each one of us that are present here today would be able to absorb this blessing in our lives, in the way that you know we need it. And so we commit this to you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.